first Sunday, Lord's Day of the new year. Um, I think many of you know I'm uh, interested and involved, and a number of you have been very helpful um, with regard to Yorkshire camps. Um, if you have a prayer list, do pray for Yorkshire camps. This year, there are over 30 camps planned. That's from schools and churches, and then just groups coming together. There's one going on at the moment for teenagers. Uh, a fair number of those uh, are not Christians. In the next hour or so, they'll hear the gospel very clearly presented. We'd love to see them coming to saving faith in the Lord Jesus. Do pray for that ongoing work. And you might just pray as well um, that there would be more volunteers coming for three or six or 12 months, young people who would come and say, right, we'll come and work with you. They'll get accommodation and food and all the rest and then be involved. There'll be taught the Bible as well as being involved in, um, in working with children and teenagers. Uh, the last teenage camp just a few weeks ago, they had to stop the number of bookings and say to others, no, we can't take you. They just did not have enough helpers. So the real need at the moment is for people to volunteer and come and, and work. Uh, over the May day bank holiday the first one in the beginning of may there's the bible in the dales i'll give you an invitation to it if you want and you'd be very welcome to come up over that weekend for a you know you can come for a day or half a day or for the whole weekend or whatever but you'd be very welcome now i want to turn please to daniel chapter 12 and i want to just read three verses we're going to focus on one verse and uh, thinking, praying about what would be really appropriate for the first Sunday of this new year. And, um, well, I think you know my heart and I want to share from this passage something of my heart. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. If you've not got a Bible, it should be up on the screen. At that time, Michael shall stand up. The great prince who stands, watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. And it's that particular verse that I want us to focus on. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. I think we've all heard the name uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon at the same sort of time as he was preaching in London there was a Yorkshireman preaching in London as well great great preacher by the name of John Henry Jowett he was one of seven children born into a Christian home in Yorkshire and became one of the great Victorian preachers let me quote from him the joy of catching a soul is unspeakable when we have got one soul we become possessed by a passion for souls Get one, and you'll want a crowd. Many of you will know the Young Life campaign, YL, which so influenced me. Freddie Wood, the founder of Young Life, said, to bring souls to Christ should be our master passion. And then R.A. Torrey, the evangelist who followed D.L. Moody after his great work in the United States and the UK, the evangelist of a hundred and some years ago, R.A. Torrey, a uh, very logical sort of preacher. He said, I would rather win souls than be the greatest king or emperor on earth. 
I would rather win souls than be the greatest general that ever commanded an army. My one ambition in life is to win as many as possible. Oh, it is the only thing worth doing to save souls and men and women. We can all do it. I really want to speak about soul winning as we enter into this new year. Throughout the whole of the Bible, and of course it becomes very, very clear and potent in the New Testament, but throughout the whole of the Bible, you get jewels on this theme that sort of jolt us into remembering the importance of winning others for the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 126. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, Bearing seed for sowing shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bearing his sheaths with him. Or Ecclesiastes, cast your bread upon the water, for you will find it after many days. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be prosperous. And now in Daniel chapter 12. So let's look at it carefully. First of all, I want you to note the setting. You see the phrase, at that time, verse 1 of chapter 12. In in chapters 10 and 11 and the beginning of chapter 12, there is prophecy of the great tribulation, this time of tremendous persecution and trouble on the church. Antichrist will arise, there'll be Armageddon, there'll be persecution of those who love the Lord. Very, very dark days. And it's at that time, in this context, that uh, we have the theme of soul winning. In the darkest days of trouble, the world will still know that there'll be some turning to God. You get the same truth found in the book of Revelation chapter 7. Now, we are not living in this moment in the great tribulation, but nevertheless, there is immense pressure on us, and especially those of you who work in public service, immense pressure to be silent about your faith. One of the most stunning things I've heard in the last few years was here in Sunbridge Road three years ago at Christmas, and it was a carol service at which I was speaking. You had a lady, she may be here now, I don't know, from Romania giving her testimony, and it it was a remarkable testimony how she was converted in communist Romania, how she stood for Christ, then eventually came over here. Now, she works in the civil service, and then she said this, but for me to witness for Christ in the civil service is much more difficult and much more costly than ever it was to speak for Christ in Ceausescu's Romania. Now she said that from this platform about three years ago. A few weeks ago, I was invited to something which was a very unusual invitation for me, and that was to speak at the Orthodox Stroke Coptic Society of Leeds University. I'd never been there before, and I was um, intrigued as to how they got to know about me. But when you go to a Christian union in the UK, they usually say you've got 20 to 25 minutes. It's normally something I ignore, but that's what they tell you. But I always ask, anyway, I like them to, you know, I like to know what they're expecting. I asked the Orthodox Coptic Society, how long do you want me to speak? And they said, 75 minutes, and then please take questions afterwards. So we had 75 minutes where they were copiously taking notes on Isaiah 53, and then they opened it up for questions. It was an amazing event. They were bright people mostly from Egypt, one from United Arab Emirates. Um, All of them, apart from one, were doctors or medical students. They were a bright, bright group. Anyway, in one of the questions, one of the 
doctors said this. It is harder for me to live as a Christian in the UK than ever it was in Egypt. And I turned and said, excuse me. And then suddenly they all said, oh, yes, it is. So I said, well, what do you mean? And this doctor who was asking the question simply said, we know we may have to lay lay down our lives for the Lord in Egypt, but here... The pressure not to speak about Christ, to be silent about your faith, the pressure of secularism and materialism is overwhelming compared with Egypt where you can talk to anybody about Christian things. Now the trouble is, of course, we've, most of us anyway have grown up in the UK and we sort of take this as normal. We, we, we've grown accustomed to it. We're not living in great tribulation but we are living where there is tremendous pressure to be silent and intimidation almost to be silent especially as I said those who work for the NHS those who work in um, education or social services or civil service keep quiet about your faith I would love all doctors all nurses who are Christians to blatantly speak about the Lord Let them fire the lot of us, and then let's see what happens to the NHS. (laughs) They have no right to tell anybody to be quiet. This is our Father's world. And even if the world does not want to hear about the Father, we have every right and responsibility. We have the most wonderful message in the world. Wasn't that a lovely time of, of praise and worship? We've come to know the Lord through his death. Through his resurrection, we know about the need to repent and receive forgiveness. We've been reconciled to God. We have meaning. We have purpose. We have a future. But we have the Lord. And are we to be quiet about this? Are we to be silent? Are we to be embarrassed? Are we to be fearful that something might happen because we speak? We're under marching orders. But there is something else as well. If it wasn't for the doctrine of hell, in many ways, Christianity would be almost a club. We come together on a Sunday, midweek, whatever it is, and we enjoy fellowship, we enjoy worship, we enjoy doing things, serving people. But there is this doctrine of hell. It's found in the Old Testament, it's found in the the New Testament. Some, well, what is it? Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt, we've just read. This dreadful doctrine, not dreadful in the sense that we find it abhorrent, but it does fill us with a sense of dread that the men and women whom we rub shoulders with day by day, who perhaps live next door to us, who maybe even live in our own home, who have our say the same surname, whom we love, may be lost. Suddenly there becomes an urgency about this message. I went to three funerals in the month of December. The first one, a dear, dear man of God from Leeds, an elder of a church there, a very good friend of mine, diagnosed with lung cancer. He never smoked in his life, but diagnosed with lung cancer, and eight days later he was gone. But it was a triumphant funeral. It was a wonderful funeral. That was on the Friday. On the Tuesday, I was in Northern Ireland at the funeral of Dr. Helen Rosevere, this saintly, godly woman whom the Lord seemed to touch in a very unusual way. And again, a wonderful funeral. 
And then I've never been to a Roman Catholic service before in my life. I've, I've, I've been in some churches on the continent, but I'd never been to a Roman Catholic service. But a requiem mass for a man I knew very well. I, I came out of there quite shaken. The darkness, the paganism, the ritualism, the lack of hope, the, the, the heavy atmosphere. And this was for a man who was very much involved with that Catholic Church. What a contrast. What a difference. Now look, we have a message that, as we heard, uh, you know, piped to us a few moments ago. It sets us free. It brings forgiveness. But there are everlasting consequences as to what people do with the Lord Jesus. We are meeting people all around who without Christ are without hope. And yes, they may try and silence us, but how, how can we be silenced when we read in the scripture things like where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched or the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. So whatever pressures, whatever persecutions come upon us, here is the injunction from scripture to win souls, to go out and make disciples, to make the Lord Jesus Christ known. It is the task which every Christian is given and it is the most joyful task on earth to point people to Jesus Christ. He who is the wise person, according to verse 3, will turn many to righteousness. I love the fact in the book of James it focuses on just turning one to righteousness is in itself a significant work. Wisdom that leads to soul winning rises above the circumstances. So I'm going to make a plea for us, despite the pressure, despite the setting, that we be folk who make much of the Lord Jesus. So having looked at the setting, now let's look at the theme of the soul winner, turning many to righteousness. How do we do this? I think, first of all, through prayer. I was very encouraged to hear... Philip, your pastor, sort of underlined that Thursday night prayer meeting. A strange thing has happened since I've been a Christian. And yes, uh, I've been a Christian, what is it, 51 years. I, I was converted when I was minus 10. And a uh, long time. But do you know I belong to young life? Teenagers who had days of prayer and fasting. Teenagers gathering together to spend a, day, spend a day in prayer and fasting. We don't find adults doing that. We had prayer meetings every Wednesday at church, every Saturday for Young Life, and they were earnest. They weren't padded out with lots of hymns and readings and thoughts and, and prayer requests. They were prayer, intense, earnest prayer. And I remember how time and again you would come away feeling, I have just met with the living God. I was young, but oh, there was earnestness, there was passion. There was a deep sense, as, as Philip said, of belief that this God to whom we're praying is hearing and is going to answer. With regard to Yorkshire camps, and I know many of you know the story, I, I saw it happen again. For two years, every Monday evening from eight promptly till gone nine, there was a prayer meeting for Yorkshire camps, for the blessing on the camps and for provision of the premises. It seemed an impossibility to us. And twice the building was sold and then it fell through and they carried on praying. And then many of you know how a trust, which is not a Christian trust, bought the building 
and handed it over to Yorkshire camps. It was the most stunning answer to prayer. And, and there are numerous ones since then. The, the nearby road became flooded. So the folk at Yorkshire camps phoned up Yorkshire Water and explained, and they said, oh, we'll come and we'll repair the road and the piping underneath, but I'm afraid it is your bill because it's your piping. It comes from Threshfield to um, Netherside Hall. That's a, a mile and a quarter. That is your piping. You are responsible. Well, this is going to cost a fortune, you can imagine. They were praying, Lord, please, will you overrule? And they begged Yorkshire, Yorkshire Water and said, please, could you not take over the pipe? And they said, oh, no, we'd never take over piping like that. So then they said, well, will you meet with us, please? And they said, well, yes, we'll gladly meet with you. And they met and they said again, please, would you take over this piping? And Yorkshire Water said, no, we don't take over pipes like that. And you can understand why. So then they said, will you go away and, and just continue? Consider it, please. And they said, yes, we'll do that. And they sent at Yorkshire Camp, sent out an, an email. Please pray as they consider. Less than a fortnight later, a letter from Yorkshire Water. We will take over that piping. And uh, it's about half a mile that's had to be dug up and repaired. So praise the Lord for uh, us paying our water bills on time. But, but God answers prayer. I remember some time ago going to a, an evening of prayer in Leeds where we simply prayed for our children. Some were praying for prodigal children. Some were praying for children on the mission field. And it was an unforgettable evening. Now some of us have the heaviness of heart of knowing that our children or grandchildren or parents even are not saved. And we're almost reticent to mention it for prayer at a prayer meeting. But let us pray. Let's gather together to pray. How can we become people who win souls? Well, through prayer. So uh, with, with Philip, if I may, I, I really would encourage us to be at the prayer meeting. Pray for opportunities to speak. Each morning I, I, I pray, Lord, will you lead me to somebody with whom I can share a word today? Pray for opportunities. Pray for conversions. One of my concerns for myself, if I may, is that, yes, every, every day I talk to somebody about the Lord and I have these little conversations and some of them are most remarkable conversations. And I come away and say, oh, listen to what happened. And it, it's great, but I don't just want conversations I long for conversions and there is a barrenness at the moment in our churches and in our personal work of individuals being converted. Would you pray to that end? Lord, this year, would you use me to win somebody for Jesus Christ? Would you pray that? I was very challenged yesterday <coughs> listening to Jonathan Fletcher on tape. For 30 years, he was the, the vicar of Emmanuel Wimbledon, and I enjoy his sermons very much. And he told the story, whether it was in the United States or here, I don't know. He said, um, uh, somebody I know was seated on an aeroplane. Next to him on the right was a Down syndrome girl. And he was a bit surprised that she was traveling by herself and mentioned it to the, um, uh, the, the hostess who simply said, oh, well, she, you know, she is of age, uh, but we make sure she's met and we make sure she's, she's passed over to the right person at the other end. She travels regularly with us. And there was a man seated to his left and they were, they were traveling. And eventually the Down syndrome girl turned to him and said, excuse me, sir. Have you had breakfast this morning? 
And the man turned and said, well, yes, I have. And there was a pause. And she turned back and said, excuse me, sir, did you brush your teeth this morning? And the man turned back and said, well, yes, I did. Pause. And then she turned, excuse me, sir, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, he was a Christian. And he turned and said, well, yes, I do. She said, so do I. And then she turned and said, excuse me, sir, will you ask the man next to him, next to you, if he's had breakfast this morning? <laughs> so he turned and said, this is a little embarrassing, but yeah. And the man said, yes, I have. Excuse me, sir, will you ask the man if he's brushed his teeth, please? So he turned and said, have you brushed your teeth? It's better. Well, he knew what was coming, because a few moments later, she turned and said, Excuse me, sir, will you ask the man if he loves the Lord Jesus Christ? So he turned and said to this man, this is embarrassing, but the lady next to me wants to know if you love the Lord Jesus. And he said, I have never been asked that question before, but I've always wanted to talk about these things to somebody who does love Jesus. And Jonathan Fletcher said they spent the rest of the plane journey together talking about the things of God. We are embarrassed, aren't we? We are ashamed. We are intimidated. But why? Let us pray much that God would give us opportunities and conversions. How do we turn many to righteousness? By prayer, by example as well. Just living it and speaking it. And others will see, Christians and those outside of Christ. A wealthy businessman was dying. And um, one of his friends came and was with him in hospital and said to him, uh, look, shall I call your church minister? And this is no reflection on Philip or the others, Tony, etc. Shall I call your, your church minister? And the wealthy businessman said, no. Call for John, the porter at the store. I've watched him for over 20 years. He's God's man. Bring him to me. The example of living it and speaking it. Yeah, I know we mess up. I know we fail. And again, that's come out very strongly this morning. But our message is not look at me and see how good I am. Our message is look, I am a sinner, but I have a most marvelous Savior. He loved us, He died, He bore our sin. On, his, on the cross, he, he's risen from the dead. He's willing to forgive and make all things new. That's our message. And how do we become soul winners? Through proclamation. We live in these disruptive times. And we long to see others who feel as we do and believe as we do. That, that's fine. But let's never forget that actually we are here on earth to make Jesus known. In fact, the Lord Jesus himself, we, we read of him that he came to seek and to save those who are lost. If you consider for a moment his sufferings on the cross, they prove the value of an eternal soul. He would not have gone through all the suffering of the cross if it wasn't for the fact that every individual soul is important and of eternal significance. For 30 years he was away from his home in heaven where he was the darling, where he was worshipped and he came to live on this struggling earth for our sake. He lived with the poorest. He, he met with the despised and the rejected. He's described as a man of sorrows. But he set his face steadfastly toward Jerusalem where he was going to go and bear our sin. He was a soul winner. 
We we see him weeping over the city of Jerusalem because these people, they're like sheep without a shepherd. He spoke to his disciples on one occasion and said, "Look, look, never mind food. I have meat to eat that you know nothing of. He had his priorities right. I don't know whether you've seen the latest Billions magazine, the Overseas Missionary Fellowship magazine. There's a very powerful article in there, which is a historical view of one of their great missionaries of some years ago. I've got to say, I'd never heard of him. But working in Mongolia, people encouraged him to take time off and and go and watch sport, etc. He replied, I have not come here to play games. There are priorities in life. The only thing that matters for eternity is our relationship with God and our seeking to win others as Jesus did. He went to the woman of Samaria. He went to the woman caught in the act of adultery. He went to Zacchaeus. Even on the cross, he's leading this dying thief crucified next to him to salvation. Think of the Apostle Paul. My heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. When he's speaking to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, he says, For three years I cease not to, to warn every one of you, night and day, with tears. He was earnest about it. We find him at the end of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, in prison, or at least under house arrest in, in Rome. And from evening to morning and morning to evening, he's teaching the people who come. He's unfolding, expounding the scripture. He's pointing them to Jesus Christ. It's interesting, and don't misunderstand, I'm not against scholars and study, but it's interesting, for 2,000 years, the church has honoured scholars. But do you know, according to Daniel 12, verse 3, the Lord honours soul winners. What a difference. There's a lot in that if you stop and think about it. More than anything else, I desire to be a soul winner. The most significant work any of us can do in life is to win people to Jesus Christ. Jesus taught that one soul is worth more than the value of the whole world. Richard Branson, the Rothschilds, they never did more important work than you and I can do. That of winning people for Christ. Even if it takes blood and sweat and tears and toil and separation and concentration and self-denying and going outside the gate, as it were, to win souls is the most important thing. The setting, the soul winner. Finally, the stars. What, what, what is this? Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So the stars are the redeemed men and women and they have an intrinsic light. Stars don't reflect light. Stars intrinsically give off light. We have been brought into relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in him and he is in us and so intrinsically light is going to shine from us. Now, as you know, stars can be in a cluster. They they seem in a cluster to us. They might be millions of miles away. But they're each independent of each other. They're enduring. As far as we we are concerned, most of them are still unnamed. There are billions and billions of them out there. God gave names to all of them. And here we are, just ordinary people. I'm useless at names. and It's an embarrassment to me, really. But many of you, I don't know your name. You'll forget me 
probably by the end of the day, but in a week or so, you know, we're just individuals, aren't we? We're going about our work. And yet the Bible and church history are full of great characters whose names we don't know. They're forgotten. Millions of anonymous followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who've been faithful in their witness. Gideon had 300 soldiers. We don't know any of their names. We know about Gideon, but not them. Three men went to Bethlehem, the well in Bethlehem, and got water for David. We don't know their names. 7,000 people refused to bow their knee to Baal. We don't know any of them, but what great heroes they were. Wise men came from the east to worship the Lord Jesus. And I know the hymn gives them names, but the Bible doesn't. We don't know their names. The lad who brought five loaves and a few fish to Jesus. What was his name? I think it was Roger. You really should try and persuade. But anyway, there we are. But we don't really know. The Samaritans who were brought by the Samaritan woman to the Lord Jesus. We don't know their names. The Ethiopian eunuch. We don't know his name. The Philippian jailer, we don't know his name. But all faithful souls. In a hundred years from now, we'll be forgotten. I doubt, I may be wrong, but I doubt if any of us will have our statue in a park in the centre of Bradford or anywhere else. Our, our, Our life story is not going to be covered in the Telegraph or the Times or the Guardian in the obituary columns. They will just be forgotten, but not as far as the Lord is concerned. The most significant thing we can do is to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, what does it say? We shall be like stars and we shall shine forever. Let me end with three quick conclusions. First, times are tough, but God's work goes on. Let me read from Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, from the message paraphrase. This is what it says. But throughout the history of those kingdoms, the God of heaven will be building a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will his kingdom ever fall under the domination of another. Did you hear that? He is building a kingdom that will never be destroyed. The monarchs of Saudi Arabia cannot destroy the kingdom of God in Saudi Arabia. The kingdom of God has not been destroyed in North Korea. And the kingdom of God, whatever the secularism of today's society says, will not be destroyed in the UK. He is building it, nor will his kingdom ever fall under the domination of another. Isn't that amazing? And we are to preach, proclaim Christ in season when it's convenient and easy and right and out of season when it's very costly. Times are tough, but God's work goes on. Secondly, soul winning is costly, but the great commission of the Lord Jesus to go into all the world still stands. The first two words are, go you, go ye, if you're authorised version, go you. We sometimes hear the phrase of being in the ministry. Actually, the real truth should be that the ministry is in us and overflowing out of us. We cannot help but speak of those things which we have seen and heard. If I understand it correctly, soul winning is the thing, the 
the thing nearest to the heart of God who loves the people he made, who came to reach us and rescue us and, and died on the cross for us all. And those we see day by day, whatever their religious garb that they're wearing, Christ loved them and died for them. And if only we could get that sort of boldness. I, I heard recently of a man who worked in a big open plan office, a Christian man. And if anybody ever blasphemed, this is what he did. So somebody across the, the office just said the word Jesus as a blasphemy. Oh, Jesus. And he, he would always shout out, loves you. <laughs> oh, God, loves you. <laughs> great boldness, great boldness. Uh, do you know, even angels rejoice over a sinner, over the time when a sinner repents. And I, I just beg us to be people whose passion for the lost, because it's a passion for the Lord and from the Lord, passion for the lost rekindles a new fire within us to go and make Christ known. And there is real joy in soul winning. I, I, I know sometimes you can be rebuffed. My experience is, whether in supermarkets or garages or bumping into people in the street or on the bus, etc. My experience is when you talk to people one-to-one, -one, if there's not a crowd around them, when you talk to them one-to-one, -one, winsomely, not aggressively, not... <clears throat> Remember, they are as we once were. We want them to be as we are now. They're not our enemies. They're lost like we were, and we want them to be saved. My experience is when you talk one-to-one, -one, there is an openness. If there's a crowd round, there can be a sort of facade of brazen antagonism. Talk one-to-one, -one, there's an openness. There's a lady who lives in Cookridge, an elderly lady. Every single day, she waits till half past nine has come because then she can use her, f her free bus pass. She gets on the bus into Leeds and she prays that the Lord would lead her as to who to sit next to. And she speaks to that person about Christ. When she gets into Leeds, she gets off the bus, crosses the road, and gets the bus back, praying again, Lord, I'd like to speak to somebody else today about Jesus. Every day, this elderly lady does just that. That attitude that says, I am here to win the lost. Quickly, I know time's gone, but I read earlier this year the biography of W.A. Criswell. He was a pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, this huge, huge church, of which Billy Graham was a member for a number of years. And um, there was a wealthy woman in the church who was a friend of Chriswell, and she read in the newspaper about the grief of a widow woman whose son had committed such crimes he was sentenced to prison in Alcatraz. And this wealthy woman really grieved for this woman, felt for her, losing a son like that after she'd lost her husband. And eventually the burden was such she went to see her. And met with her a number of times and led her to Christ. After she'd been one to the Lord, she then realized the spiritual plight of her son. And she spoke to this wealthy woman who then spoke to Chriswell, Pastor Chriswell, and said, Would you be willing to go to Alcatraz and meet this man who's imprisoned? And he did. Booked the time and all the rest and went and spent a couple of hours with him. And led him to Christ. He was totally transformed. He became the librarian in Alcatraz. And he was just a Christian man living in those difficult situations. But he said in letter to Chriswell, I will never be allowed out of this place.
But as it happens, because of the transformation of his character, he was eventually released. And he didn't tell Chriswell until he appeared one Sunday morning in the church. And at the end of the service, he walked forward and said to Pastor Chriswell, I'd like to join this church and I'd love you to baptize me. And Chriswell says he became one of the most faithful members of the church. Some of you have people you are burdened for. Would you pray and then in a spiritual, not conniving, but a spiritual way, devise means whereby the person for whom you're praying can be exposed to the gospel? Then get others to pray and who knows? It may prosper in a way that you've dreamt of and longed for. One last conclusion. The rewards that we get are undeserved. But do you know the Lord delights to give them? He answers prayer. He works with us. One day he'll welcome us home and guess what? We will shine like stars forever. It's not something I've particularly dreamt of, shining like a star, but I think it will be wonderful. And if I can reflect something of the Lord Jesus, as well as enjoying him throughout all eternity, that would be marvellous. But if I can enjoy it with others for whom I've prayed and pointed, to Jesus, pointed them to Jesus, that would be oh, a double, a multiple heaven for me. I beg us this year to go into it prayerfully and then with proclamation on our lips and showing by example that we love the Lord. We're grateful for what he's done for us but we want him to do the same for others. Amen. Let's stand and sing, facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees, a need that undiminished rebukes. Father, at the beginning of this new year, we commit ourselves again to you. We thank you that you first loved us and that Jesus came to die and bear our sin in his own body on the tree. We thank you that we serve a risen, living Christ. We thank you that we have assurance of forgiveness and eternal life through all that he accomplished and that we know you. Father, may we not be guilty of hiding these precious truths but sharing them boldly, fiercely and um, compassionately with those with whom we meet. Bless our fellowship now. Look after us throughout the rest of this day and this coming week. Help us to walk worthy of the high calling with which we're called, for we pray in Jesus' name.